Hello everyone, welcome to episode 35 of Link to the Cast, your weekly look at video games and nerd culture ephemera. I am your party host, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined on the, on the couch, as I ever am, at our fancy new desks this time, by the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. Mark, I, how are you? I am a confirmed confirmed nerd, yes. Um, my miniature little desk here makes it feel all that more real. I feel like I'm back in secondary school. Yeah, they're real kind of like old school fold-out desks that we got. We kind of... We jumped the gun a little, getting the tables before the equipment. Yeah, yeah. But the equipment is on the way. Like, literally the same day we're recording, we're touch and go waiting for our new kind of uh, audio setup here. Amazon. We're actually going to be able to get mics reasonably close to our faces now, which yeah, has been a problem in recordings past. It's it's fair to say that um, week by week, the audio quality on this show can kind of differ. Oscillates. Yeah. Uh, where your uh, Away Goes away goals podcast, like you're upstairs, you've got the mic kind of quite close to you. The acoustics in my room are very good. Yes. Because there's like my, my walls have a lot of stuff around them. And I can get really up close to my mic there because of where I set up. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still thinking one day you're going to come in here and I'm just going to have like bed like sheets just hanging around the whole entire, <laughs> the whole entire room. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad. It's, um, it's, you know, been a pretty standard week really. Yeah. Nothing to report. Been a long tiring week. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine so. Yeah. Real world stuff, mm -hmm. which I won't bore the listeners with, but yeah, there's, uh, We've missed a bit of content this week, and that's all on me. Uh, I haven't been in the office. No. Linked to the cast towers. I haven't been at too but, often uh, this week. reasonable reasons. Yeah, in fairness, yeah. It, it isn't something that ever really happens no. uh, on the reg, shall no. we say. Um, and that's not something I, I, I'm loathe to miss when I say I'm going to hit deadlines. I'm loathe to miss them unless, like... You'll know, listeners, if I miss a deadline, it's because I absolutely could not make the deadline, no matter how hard I tried. You are a pro. I'll give you and that. the only thing we've missed so far this week, we've missed an article and we've missed Link to the Cast Plays. So. Uh, and my Monday video. Well. Yeah. yeah. So that one's on me. excuses. Some that, people don't. That, <laughs> that one is on me. Yeah, I do appreciate when I come into a room and I can see there's a, like a whiteboard as you go into Dave's room on the left. Yeah, you see, I like to have, like, y you you know from when I was working as well, like when I have deadlines and stuff ahead of me, I like to have like lists yeah. and things. And yeah, in, in my room, there's a whiteboard on the way in and out of the room, so I can't help but see it. That's under the... Deliberately there so that I have to see it when I come in and out. So oh, that totally I the same. But because I'm um, living in your living room, everything I do to kind of keep my life in track, I have to do for the MacBook. Yeah, I can't really start hanging things up in here. So. That's true. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I have our Monday to Friday schedule listed up there, so I always remember where we're at. And we've been doing well up until this week. We've been doing well for this the, the last first time we've missed weeks, since so. we yeah. redid the whole content layout. But uh, but hey, we're back. We're back now with the podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with Friday plays. Everything is. <coughs> back away goals pod it's up in the air i haven't talked to jack yet i need to see what the what the story is there for this week really i mean it's international week and if you saw any of the highlights and i use the word or the term highlights to describe the england game yeah uh, not really uh shall we just get into it shall we yeah let's Talk do about it. some video games playing yeah. this week hey check it out i learned the baseline from final fantasy 2 Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. What have you been playing this week, Mark? Uh, I bought Street Fighter Five. Oh. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Um, I figured I was going to play it at some point, and this was the time to to take the plunge because uh, it's going secondhand for about thirty-five euros at the moment. Um, although this is around the time that 
they were doing the offer as well on store the to get like, humble bundle. Yeah, um, but I ended up just going to get a physical copy. Um, so I've only played it for a couple of days. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, now out of the the fighting games, I like to think of the big three. Now there's a couple of others as well, and you can argue about it. But for me, the big three, for me personally, Street Fighter, Mortal Sma- Kombat, Smash, Smash, no. <laughs> uh, and Tekken. Yeah. Um, Tekken has always been the one for me, kind of growing up, and then over the last couple of years, the last two Mortal Kombat games have been my jam. I've always had an appreciation for Street Fighter Two. That be Mortal Kombat X and Mortal Nine Kombat. And, oh, just yeah, the the reboot called Mortal, Mortal Kombat. Kombat, Kombat yeah. yeah. But I saw it as Mortal Kombat 9. But yeah, I think lots of people do now at yeah. this point. It's like Doom is Doom 4 or yeah. however you want to think about it. Um, and so I always have had an appreciation for, for Street Fighter. Um, you know, when you think of uh, a 2D uh, beat-em-up or fighting game, you think of Street Fighter. It's what mm. you, most people tend to go for. Uh, and so I've had two, I've had four, and now uh, I got my hands on five. And, you know, it's quick, it's responsive, it looks absolutely gorgeous. But it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's because it's the one I have the, the least amount of appreciation for, or it's the one that I've spent the, the least amount of time with. But it doesn't feel satisfying to play. And again, that could just be on me. But like when they rebooted Mortal Kombat and completely overhauled the fighting system, what I found, what I enjoyed about it, more so than just the, the storyline, or the way they present it, at least. Um, it feels satisfying to play. Like, when you throw a punch, you really feel the weight of that punch when it connects, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's that feedback. Um, I don't really feel it with Street Fighter. And on top of that, compounded with, uh, like, uh, there are two people, two types of people that are going to have played this game. There are those that are going to bought it on launch day because they are into the community, they're into stuff like Evo, you know, they want to be up there and going for it straight away. And then there's everyone else sort of like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pick it up afterwards, whatever. But like, the the single player campaign stuff they have in there is, feels <coughs> very shallow, like it's all kind of still framed. And it's only just been there since like the, the start or middle of the summer? Yeah, not long. Um, but it's just like still frame images with voice acting over the top like there's no actual yeah. kind of in-game in 2016 or... that's not really not really no like it's fine for Max Payne back in 2001 or whatever and yeah it just that all feels tacked on it, it, like it doesn't feel like an integral part of the game yeah. and I get that you know from most people playing this game that's not what they're here for and I get that that's fine but after like what and I'm not saying the, the new Mortal Kombat games are like the standard bearer for how a fighting game should do a storyline campaign, but just the way they did those and the way they kind of wove, weaved, weaved, there we go, uh, weaved in and out of uh, fighting and the, the cutscenes, and then like when Neverrealm transferred that over to the Injustice game, like that did a very similar thing as well. I like those Injustice games. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to picking one. up maybe in the January sales the second one. Yeah, definitely, same. So yeah, I've like only spent a couple of days of it. I mean, the the online stuff works, but it's still not great. Um, you can feel sometimes there's a little bit of lag, and like um, some of the Which, people with games like that, it's it, you, you can't you, no. like that. And Twitch shooters are like exactly you just really like I can just about tolerate it in Rocket League because the games are so fucking chaotic. That... Like 
you should try and play a game of FIFA with lag. Oh, no. oh mercy. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like I'm running through treacle. Yeah. Oh. And so it's like some of the people that I follow who are very much into that scene, mm. like, they just can't understand why after six months it's still like that. Mm. So, yeah, uh, I don't really feel there's too much more. I don't really feel qualified to say any more about it, but it's just... I think the, the, the kind of the collective opinion on it that I have I have kind of surmised from listening to different people is that the mechanics of the game and how it feels when you're playing it locally, absolutely fine. Yeah, sure. And again, people are wild about the animation style. They love it. And it's that was the, a very nice. That was the thing of everything else. Like, because I'm not a huge fighting game guy, but of all the things that were coaxing me to think about getting it when it came out, the yeah. animation style is right up there as one of those things. But it just seems like all the horseshit that has gone with the release of the game, with the features that were stripped out, and then gradually sort of added back in, but not even being close to as good as you thought they were going to be when they finally were added in. And, uh, yeah, the hassle with online and stuff like like This was a game that was rushed out, half-baked, so that they could make it in time for Evo. And yeah. <laughs> it's really suffered. And, I mean, we, we've spoken on the previous episodes about that and how that's just completely fucking unacceptable. <coughs> um, like, what what this tells me is that when it eventually comes out, Street Fighter V Ultra is going to be great. Turbo Ultra Remix Edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they finally figure out how to make that game. Yeah, that's and, gonna be the version to get. And I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and pi- uh, boil piss about it because it's what Capcom have always done, and the people into that scene always pick up the new ones. And yeah. if it weren't making the money, they wouldn't be doing it. So, who am I to to complain too much? But yeah, yeah I I'm looking at least for Capcom, unlike other companies, <clears throat> are unabashed about it. They, True. Capcom a number of years ago came out and said, well, look, our priority now is kind of like reissuing old IP on new consoles. Which is fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely fine. Like um, new new games like this aren't the priority for them because it doesn't make them their bones as much as no. it used and to. And who was it? Sony pumping money into this? Yeah. yeah Sony. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a PS4 and PC exclusive. Oh, uh, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, whatever. Like, I, I'm curious to see how Tekken 7 turns out. Um, I still think Mortal Kombat X was a really good game. So, yeah, it's. I think a lot of it is my own uh, preferences when it comes to fighting games, but I still feel that even with all of that... Would you recommend that people just hold out for Injustice 2 if they're looking for a solid fighting game this year? Sure. If, yeah. it's a, if, if, it, if it turns out to be as good as the first one was. Actually, I would just recommend people go and buy Dive Kick. Fair enough. Dive Kick is the truth. No, just like a kick. Uh, also, I have been playing your copy of Twilight Princess HD because yeah. you haven't even fucking touched it. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like, the last few months is just like, the Wii U is just not getting any play in my room. Um, I was hardcore. I was playing Xbox One a lot at the start of the summer. Like, a lot. Yeah. And now I've pretty much beaten every game I own for it, except the... Um, Every game I own that is Xbox One. There's a couple of remasters and stuff I haven't beaten. Like, I haven't beaten um, Red Dead Redemption again, obviously, because that's massive. I haven't beaten the Gears of War Trilogy remaster, because, again, remasters. Yeah. I um, think I think and I have I have the first Mass Effect because it's backwards compatible now. I, I found Mass Effect on Xbox 360 new for seven euro in a bin. I think part of it is that um you have the familiarity and the comfort of picking up either the Xbox Three, the, the Xbox One, or the PS4 controller first. For me, it's the PS4 controller because um, 
part of it is just the digital market. Like, there's always mm. stuff on sale. There's always stuff new coming mm-hmm. out. You know, there's just more content coming out and more stuff to yeah. find. With the Wii U... Uh, you, but the thing, yeah, the, with the Wii U as well, you have to deal with the tablet. I feel like I have to constantly have the wire t- the tablet wired because the battery life on it yep. is garbage. Although, I felt like I was playing it in bed the other night and it felt like I got a good couple of hours out. Well, it's I think it's from full charge, like, provided your battery hasn't started to wear down. Yeah. I think what they quoted the full charge on it as being is four hours. That's not too bad for us. It could be better. <laughs> like, I'm hoping I'm the NX as, is better. I, yeah, I'm not as annoyed about it as I am. Like the um, the the 3DS XL battery isn't much better than that. That's unacceptable because that's. I think that's six to eight. Which, when you think about, it, like my PS Vita with the OLED screen, gets eight to ten. Hey, look, considering that, and you think about the the like the graphical power, like uh, you know, whatever bit, like uh, 3DS does have a better library at this point. I would say, yeah, of exclusives, like because a lot of the best games on Vita aren't just available on Vita. Of exclusives, the the 3DS I think is undeniably the better library. But what I will say is that um, the the Vita is the most powerful handheld console. All I would say, by some distance. All I would say is. We have moved far away from the days where you had to put six AA batteries into your Game Gear to get three hours of gameplay life out of it. So. Yeah, yeah. And also, portable device, Game Gear? Ha. Huh. Hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, Twilight Princess. Now, I was thinking to myself, would this be one that we'd save for a book club uh, feature? Because we've had games on that are even more recent than Twilight Princess. But I feel that out of all of the Zelda games, well, there's quite a few of them that aren't necessary for the book club feature because we're kind of talking about games that either have had some sort of impact or have some sort of lasting memory for us or legacy or defining entries in their series yeah yeah and twilight princess is none of them um there's a few reasons for that now as much as i think skyward sword is a worse game or an inferior game it at least has its own identity i think you described it once as being and i quote utter wank (laughs) maybe um Skyward Sword at least has its own identity, whether that be from its impressionist artwork style. It's, it's trying to be something. It's trying to be something. Twilight Princess is trying to be Ocarina of Time, um, with a little bit of Majora's Mask in there. The whole story goes for most people, if you know anything about Zelda, uh, a lot of people had a backlash against Wind Waker for the, uh, the direction they wanted to go with it. Which, boy... Do they look like fucking assholes looking back on us? Correct. So they went back to a sort of just a higher resed up version of Ocarina of Time for Twilight Princess. And now I played Twilight Princess when it came out. I've played both the Wii version. I played the GameCube version. Uh, personally, I prefer playing it with the controller. I always have. Um, I didn't mind the the Wii version though. Actually, I think that's even better than the Wii well, motion. Like, I find even like. Um talking about controllers on the wii u like i find that when i play smash on the wii u if i'm bothered about it and have the time and i'm not just looking to play one quick game i would actually prefer to get out my setup to have the wired fight pad and play with a gamecube controller on that i mean i think that's a, a game by game scenario like well like I prefer, Princess... I prefer most of the time on wii u if i can get it set up i will play with the pro controller yeah no that's understandable but for stuff like twilight princess and wind waker being able to sort of drag items to mm. assign to your inventory like i prefer that than having to do the press start go to the menu change weapons over yeah. and you know as the zelda games have become more complex and there's more items you're in the menu a lot more so mm. it's kind of a key thing to be able to drag and drop as you need but no for stuff like smash or whatever then obviously you would go for the the pro pad controller every Mm. time um 
where was I? Yeah, so Twilight Princess just... I do think it's a good game. I do think that it takes a fucking day and age to get going. There's a good hour and a bit before you feel like you're actually playing a Zelda game, where compared to... For a, even for some Zelda games, I know some Zelda games do a lot, I find the early stages of Twilight Princess very hand-holdy. Mm. And that's, and that's I think, what... Like, I started playing this HD remaster and then kind of got bored and went away because something else came out. And yeah. I think why I never came back was because I never got out of that hand-holdy, early, this part of the game is for babies part. Well, I can kind of appreciate um, when the game first came out and they would have been doing that because, obviously, people would be playing with an entirely new controller and, mm. you know, they had to really show you yeah, yeah, yeah. some of that. Yeah, you could argue that... Um, playing it just back with your Wii pads uh, and you know knowing how to play a Zelda game is not necessary but that's kind of an argument in general for a lot of games where you have sequels and they go back over the mechanics and mm. blah 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 um, I just yeah it, it, it <laughs> where Ocarina and Majora's have that tone of darkness and they get there in a very natural kind of way you just feel with Ocarina the, uh, sorry with Twilight Princess the whole time it's just trying too damn hard to do it um but, like, it's still good to play. I mean, the the dungeons, I've been going back through them. They're, um, there's a little bit of complexity to them. Like, they're not as linear. There's nothing that's, like, overly taxing. Uh, some of the later dungeons I haven't got to yet are that I remember. Uh, music, like, the, the, the soundtrack is really strong. Um, there was a few tracks I hadn't heard in a couple of years, but as soon as I heard them again, I was like, oh, God, yeah, I remember this. So, and Midna is a really, really good side character, and um, probably the best one they've ever had. And after, I can't even remember what the, the sword is called in Skyward Sword, but after that fucking um, shit show, uh, I'm curious to see how, or what they plan to do for Breath of the Wild, who they plan to have as the side character, or even if they do have to plan to have one. Oh, and I think uh, Link's got like a tablet or something for this one, haven't they? So that'll be curious to see. Uh, maybe you can talk to Siri in it, I don't know. <laughs> So yeah, I, uh, Twilight Princess isn't bad. It's it's better than a lot of people say it is, but it's not as good as some people say it is. Uh, it's one of the weird ones. It's just yeah. kind of there. Um, so, but no, yeah, I'm enjoying playing it. I'll I'll probably finish it. Um, the wolf sections are a bit shit, but you know, I got my uh, every game's wolf gonna link amiibo free with us which is a nice little well yeah oh did, did you I, I haven't looked up anything about because i don't have any amiibos i haven't seen but... the functionality it no. has with us i don't know okay fair enough i so... didn't get that far in the game what to turning it on yeah. yeah well no i did turn on like did i said you? no like i said i only got like i got bored of oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the handholdy part and then something came out the same week that i bought that because i didn't buy twilight princess hd when it came out i bought it when i went to gamestop and they were selling it for less than the price of a new game and it was new with the amiibo inside now, and I was like, well, I'm not walking Just, away just watch the title screen. That's really nice and cinematic, and yeah, yeah. that's me. So, yeah. What have you been playing? Uh, I've been Dave? playing a few things this week. Um, a lot of them are kind of well, two, two of the three of them are kind of not exactly news. One of them, I'm pretty sure we've sp you've spoken about before. Both of them I've spoken about. Well, one of them I've kind of mentioned, and the other one I've spoken about and reviewed for the site. <laughs> It was a revisit. <clears throat> I'll talk about the new one first. Okay. And the one that's going to be the headline grabber here for people who are um, looking to see what games they want this fall. 
The Battlefield 1 beta is now live on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One until September 8th. Okay. And it is up there for you to play. And I've played a little bit of it. Do you have to sign up or anything? Or you can just download and get no, going? No, just download away. You don't have to pre-order. You don't have to do anything. It exists as a separate game, not in the demo section, weirdly. I like that they do that. because one Demos that... are starting to come back. And yeah. I like that. Because for at the moment, if you look on the PlayStation Store... I think there's you can play a level of Uncharted Four for free. Oh, that's cool. Um, I know the first the level of Doom. Doom yeah. First level of Doom, which is all you should need to play to buy that game. Uh-huh. And buy it lots. Um, and the year, yearly tradition of Pro Evo and FIFA getting that, uh, getting demos. And Titanfall Two had a, what they called their tech test. But as I was pointing out, there was someone talking about the tech test at the weekend. Like the only tech it's testing is fucking server load testing. Mm-hmm. Like that game is ready. Pretty yeah. much, you know, little tweaks here or there, like, but this whole alpha and beta thing, the only reason people call alpha tests alpha tests is because they want something to say it's not a beta test yet. It's not actually an alpha test. Like, an alpha test of a game is a barely functioning fucking game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In the actual parlance of game design. Uh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, <clears throat> the Battlefield 1 beta, Um, so it's access to just multiplayer only. Obviously, there's nothing to do with the campaign. Now, I will say as a start, massive caveat, the only thing that would w- really hold my interest in this game will be the single player. So I'm not getting... The I part- will second that. I, uh, this is not the part of the game that is going to appeal most naturally to me. That said, um, let's think of some positives first before I get into my, my criticisms. Positives, it's visually stunning. It looks better than any Battlefield I've ever seen. It looks... Um, I would say better than Battlefront, which looked very, very good. I still like how that game looks and sounds on PlayStation 4. Um, the arenas are fucking... Like we talked about last week with the Titanfall tech test. Was it last week or was it when I was on with Brian? Um, I think I spoke with you about it. Yeah, well, yeah. the arenas are very small. Oh, no, no, I didn't speak with you because I remember after we finished recording, we are like, oh yeah, Titanfall. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was speaking with Brian about it, we said that the arenas are very small and they're made to feel... Well, not very small, but they're small by current-gen standards. They're very small for having a giant tech... He has a face full of cookie yeah, at the moment, I... in case you're wondering. <laughs> he was hoping I'd go on a much bigger monologue here. Um, they're, they're small by PS4 and Xbox One in 2016 standards, and they're made to feel even smaller when you get into a giant mech, you know? Um... That's not the case in Battlefield 1. One, because there's no giant mechs. Because it's fucking World War 1. And two, because these are massive, expansive maps. Um, the one I played most on is in the desert. Um, and uh, involved like a bunch of different capture points around the place. Now, actually, uh, some other good stuff. Uh, I didn't fly a plane in it, but I, I drove a car, like a little... Uh, kind of all-terrain vehicle in it, and that felt good it felt intuitive like i often worry when games that aren't used to having driving mechanics in them add a driving mechanic that they're going to end up like watchdogs one did you play watchdogs one at all the cars no, basically feels like cinder blocks underwater and they just have too much they try to add weight to it but it's too much weight yeah. Like, I think you should always err on the side of almost cartoony physics as opposed to trying to make things too weighty in driving mechanics. It's, it's fair to say, like, when a game is a driving is not a driving game and has driving, it usually doesn't work. Do you know what has great like great driving mechanics is GTA Five. Yes. Do you know what didn't because it tried to be too serious? GTA Four. <laughs> GTA... I, think, I need to go back to GTA Four. I, I think GTA Four of all the GTA games, has the 
the kind of least fun driving elements to it i think they went for serious they went for weighty they went for a real feel driving experience there a bit too much for me do you know what also has really bad driving mechanics what's that epona and twilight princess <laughs> she handles like a fucking cow in a shopping trolley i i did see you tweet about that jesus christ um criticisms um because the maps are so big and because they're i think it's up to 64 players on a map it's very very chaotic the ui at the moment is not very good at telling you what you're supposed to do or or should it kill everyone giving you well but this is the thing is that when you're in the desert in that terrain and everybody is dressed in vaguely similar coloring for like desert camo it's hard at first to see when people are running in the distance if you start running with them it's hard to tell whether you're running with your guys at first or you're running headlong into danger. That's real life, man. But, you know what I mean? Like, it's I have seen a lot of people on maps get very confused and end up in bad situations because of that. Okay. Um, the respawning is nice and quick. When you die, uh, you can respawn to a random point in the map where there's action happening. Mm -hmm. It lets you select or pick one at random. Was it just deathmatch team deathmatch? Was there any other? Uh, it was like it was. It wasn't team. It was capture points. Okay. Um. It basically doesn't feel too dissimilar gameplay wise. Like it looks much better, but it, gameplay wise, it's nothing you haven't seen before from a battlefield or indeed Battlefront. Mm -hmm. And Battlefront is a game I like a lot in small doses. I think I said this exactly at the time when it came out. And a lot of people said this, like, if you only play, if you only have two hours a week to play a game, Star Wars Battlefront was the best game of 2015, if that is your criteria. Yeah. Because if you, pay, <laughs> if you play it for a little while, you only have enough time to do a couple of games in each mode, it's fucking astonishingly good. But yeah, you quickly realise. It gets so repetitive. Yeah, yeah. It gets so repetitive and not in a good way. Like, mm -hmm. there's the kind of repetition that's good for grind and upgrading and things like that. Most and then games there's, I play. Yeah, and then there's the kind of repetition that's just like, this is dull. Yeah. And that's what that is. Um, I don't think that Battlefield won unless the um, unless the campaign ends up blowing people away. And I really hope it does. I don't think it's winning any converts over this year. I think if it gets any converts from Call of Duty, it'll be the people that were alienated by Call of Duty rather than the people that were won over by Battlefield. I still think it has an incredibly dumb name. Hmm. Uh, but my question for you... Uh, you are a man that teaches history. Should have been called Battlefield the Great War. We should get to PR. Yeah, well, that well, that's what the war was called at the time. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you are a man that teaches history. Indeed. Um, I'll be curious to know when this game comes out and you play it. Will you be able to use this game to teach your kids? That's an interesting action. That's yeah, because there are. Some... <laughs> I am semi-serious and semi-taking the piss no, on that but, question. But, but <laughs> no, genuinely, there are some games that are very useful for teaching kids. Um, do you know what's suspiciously good for teaching kids about um, insurgency, counterinsurgency, and guerrilla warfare? Half-Life. Assassin's Creed 2. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Assassin's Creed 2 is used by some people um, to teach about guerrilla warfare and assassinations and things like oh. that. Um, it was mentioned in my masters, of all things. Um, Fair enough. I think a game that if you're going to teach at the moment, I think if I was to sit a class down in front of a game to try and teach them about the first war, I'd probably go with Valiant Hearts. 
Did you play that? No. From the UBART engine, Valiant Hearts, Great War. You should really look it up. It's about a man and his dog, and dogs are so good. Nice. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's really good. Uh, that Verdun game as well looks like it's an authentic experience, but I don't know how good of a game it is. Mm. I've seen people play it this week on my feed. I think it just dropped on the PS4. It was on Steam for a long time, because I remember seeing Drew Scanlon play it a long time ago. Do you know uh, a really good game to teach kids about uh, bonding and uh, friendships and um, just becoming a better person? Parappa the Rapper. Yeah. <laughs> Keep trying to fly that flag, mate. Fair play. But uh, that's the Battlefield 1 beta. Please, if you have a PS4 or Xbox One, don't take my word for it. Download it. It's only, I think, 6 gigs or something like that. Uh, check it out between now and, oh, later on today. No, if that's only gigs. This is my completely losing track of time and date. It's it's September eighth that it's finished today. Yeah, is yeah. September eighth. Um, Whoops. <laughs> uh, what worries me is that the demo is only six gigs. Yeah. <laughs> well, like it's that's the size of No Man's Sky. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, that's that's that. Anyway, I'll move on. Um, the two games I've been playing that are kind of from the past this week. Uh, I have revisited Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, which was one of my favourite games of last year. Yeah, which we've spoken about a few times before. Yeah, The Walking Simulator from the Chinese Room, a UK-based studio, um, set in Shropshire in 1984, where an entire town has vanished. You were walking around, you were the only person there, and you were interacting with these weird beams of light that are explaining to you the story. Uh, one of the reasons I went back, apart from the fact that I uh, really, really liked that game, is that I was very close to a platinum on it. Yeah. So I decided to go back, bite the bullet, and get the one final trophy, which requires you to go through and interact with every single story element of the game. So there are proximity events, ones that just automatically pop up when you walk past them, with little kind of... the You've seen the dancing beams of light that mm-hmm. form shades mm-hmm. of people yep, and yep, do a yep. little cutscene. There are ones where you have to use your motion control to move the beam of light into the right spot and that unlocks a little cutscene. Then there are radios, which if you interact with the radio, uh, you're one one of the main characters, and I don't want to spoil it, one of the main characters, she starts speaking to you through the radio. The same goes for there are a lot of phones and there are a couple of TVs and computer screens that if you interact with them, they start uh, babbling out a list of numbers. Um, so if you interact with all those and some people there it is inconclusive uh, from the people who use I think playstationtrophies.org is where I was looking at it which is a great website if you're doing a trophy hunt um, people seem to be inconclusive there as to whether you have to get all the story elements in a very particular order so I did it in the very particular order rather than have to do it twice um, the reason I wanted to break it back up is well one I got my platinum so woo woo that's platinum 16 for me Um the was it at that point that you questioned everything you'd ever done in your life no okay um it is a really beautifully crafted story that only really was it fifa (laughs) it's only really when you actually go through all the story elements in order rather than the ones you just happen upon like i was using a guide to find every single thing so i was filling in all the gaps that i had like there was a few gaps from my original playthrough like I had missed there are the ones I said where you interact with the motion controls that's the main arc of the story you can't progress in the story until you find them so you're always going to find them and there's like this dancing ball of light that leads you between those mandatory story elements right 
but the ones that are those proximity events happen in all sorts of off the main road sorts of places and you can miss those in your playthrough do they feel and they have like kind of they're, they're like um kind of b stories that interweave right they're i was gonna say the same like, characters you... but it's a different arc yeah you, di- you didn't feel like you missed anything that was kind of core but, and integral no you still know what happens by the end of it or at least have your good theory as to what has happened but because like, that's my don't... biggest critique with Bioshock Infinite is if you miss some of those audio tapes, you like yeah, that yeah, is yeah. how the dialogue is you... or the conversation. Yeah, and that the is the, that's, the, that's the kind of folly with a lot of games that use the, the yep. voxophone audio tape kind of yep. method. It's like a great and invention like, and tough, also the worst. It, it's tough because like there is so much story in some of these games that like there are few other ways people have thought of yet to cram all that in, apart from say do like MGS4 and have 45 minute cutscenes. <laughs> nope. But even MGS5 actually has those tapes that you can find that have little interviews and like Kazuhira Miller uh, talking about different things on it that explains so much. Yeah. But anyway, um, it's only going through and looking at all those story elements that I hadn't seen before that really kind of fills in the edges and kind of illustrates what a well-crafted and I think very like at times heart-wrenching stories that are going on in this place leading up to the incident mm-hmm. um and i think i have a much better handle on what happened there now so i'm really glad i went back in because i think it's even knocked it up a couple of points in my head now from where it already was sitting fairly lofty um i also need to say again and i said it in my review and i said it every time anyone asked me about it and i said it because it did win best soundtrack on our game of the year awards I absolutely stand by that. I think it might be among the greatest original scores ever composed for a video game. It's a pretty strong statement. What about it? It's a full, like, 40-piece orchestra, kind of, like, it's, like, a full, fully orchestral, classical. There are very few, like, um, like, there are vocals in it, but it's not, like, it's kind of like there would be the odd word and noise rather than actually fully lyricized songs. Right. And it says so much without saying anything. It, it like It's one of the reasons I think it is one of the best uh, video game soundtracks of all time is that I think, right, say something like Mega Man. We love the soundtrack of Mega Man here on the show. We love the soundtrack on Zelda on the show. Those games aren't the same with a different soundtrack, but I wouldn't argue that they would be harmed that much by replacing them with another chiptune soundtrack because the mechanics of those games are kind of what keeps us coming back rather than the actual soundtrack. The soundtrack is an awesome bonus for us. Whereas I think because this is a narrative-heavy game and because the, the soundtrack is so well thought out by, I want to say her name is Jessica Curry, um, because it's so well thought out and plays so well into the story, I don't think you have half the emotional resonance coming out of this game if you played it on mute. And just played it with subtitles. Oh, it's one of them. See, it is, it is absolutely like it is one of those ones that absolutely like manipulates your emotions going through it. Well, it's it has fantastic to be said, the way it affects you. I, I'm seriously considering because it is available on vinyl. Walking simulators are the kinds of games where because I've been uh, working on an article talking about my playing habits and how they've changed over the years. Where I'm, I'm more likely to have like a podcast on and like the game on mute yeah. but that's because of like certain games we've been playing where i've been playing like it's funny yeah like I was... binding of isaac super meat boy stardew valley this year but we're something like um everybody's gone to the rapture and certainly stuff like gone home gone home and firewatch and the game i'm about to talk about next you, you can't you have to be like fully in the moment fully uh, part of the game you know mm-hmm. and so the, the sound design and the uh dialogue or whatever that's all integral to the experience 
<coughs> yeah it certainly is it's um it really like it's just an absolutely beautiful soundtrack just um it really is worth checking out it's probably fairly cheap on the playstation store now everybody's gone to the rapture like it's been out for about a year and a half now at this point nearly i would say and uh, the game that inspired it is actually coming to playstation this month uh dear esther another oh, yes. simulator that's finally coming it's only gonna be eight quid for uh ps plus honors that's good so i might well pick that up and I'll, I'll actually then i'll do a quick kind of um one against the other well, freeway here then. So the the, the three that I know, uh, everybody's gone to the Rapture, Firewatch, and Gone Home. I put Gone Home at number three for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Firewatch. Firewatch is great, and Firewatch I don't think gets the the credit it deserves for being a really heart wrenching story as well. Yeah. Uh, which I wasn't expecting when I started that game. You can listen back to our playthrough of it, and boy was that a real gut punch. Takes for us a turn. We figured it, it, takes out. A it turn. really does. Yeah. Uh, like it takes a turn at the beginning, and then it's funny for ages, and then depending on the choices you make it takes turns again it has peaks and valleys yeah emotional um, I think it's a really good valleys. game and that's going to be in the discussion at the end of the year I think yeah I was thinking about it the other day actually uh, it's uh, on It's that. on my shortlist at the moment I think it's on mine as well um, but I think in terms of like games that have left a real impression on me afterwards personally I'm not saying this will be for everybody I think everyone everybody's gone to the rapture is up there for me because I don't think Firewatch has the the soundtrack notes I don't think it hits the same dramatic peaks Mm -hmm. that everybody's gone to the rapture does because like pretty much by the end of it you are in different ways emotionally devastated at the fate of almost every single character yeah because like obviously from the start you come in and the village nobody is there anymore so you can pretty much discern that something not good has happened you know what I mean but I was starting to pick up more and more on details about this this presence that invaded the town. About like, you can tell from early on. I'm trying to not give it away. You can tell from early on that the something started happening. The military came in and blocked off the entire town so nobody could get out and nobody could get in. And now there's nobody there anymore. Yeah. But the barricades are still up, which implies bad stuff. And there are things that only when I was going out my way to find every single part of the story in the game that I started realising, like, there were cutscenes that were triggered around people that were having conversations. And I'd notice as soon as, like, their light shimmered away from where they were sitting during the cutscene, like, I'd look to the left and there was, like, a tissue that was just clotted with blood sitting there. Mm. And there's a lot of different things like that. Little subtle things in there that, like, I started kind of going, oh, shit, like, you know... When I finished it the first time, I was like, well, I think, like, some of the main characters, it was very obvious to tell what their fates were and that, like, you felt bad for them. But then, like, the more you delve under the hood of that game, the more you realise just the extent of how fucking horrifying and weird what happened there was. Um, it's a really good game. I really like it. Um, the other game, it's kind of uh, tonally opposite. Somewhat. is Grim Fandango that now, I've been playing I don't want to spend too long on this because this is going to be a book club as soon as I, I was about to say yes uh, I'm back I played this in the 90s when I was a kid um, I was a puzzle game um, guy on and off like we played The Neverhood on this show before we certainly did uh, and Grim Fandango would have been my other one um, that I really loved um, this was like from the heyday of the Tim Schafer LucasArts uh, coalition uh, re-released by Tim Schafer's studio Double Fine uh, January last year uh, Grim Fandango is like a, it's a point and click adventure game redesigned for current gen consoles and um, it is mechanically it's not the best game ever because 
Well, I'm playing it because I'm looking for that platinum. Uh, I'm playing it on tank controls. You can turn to tank controls or more contemporary way to move around uh, either. There's not a lot to it. You're going to different areas. You're interacting with different things to see what happens. Um, what you're there for is the writing. And the writing, I think to this day, is still some of the best I've ever seen in a video game. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just so darkly and grimly funny and weird. And like it, it's one of those things where like everybody in... The, it's almost like the game version of a Coen Brothers film. In as yeah. much as... What people say about the Coen Brothers that one of the best things about Coen Brothers films is that every single character, even if they're in it for only a minute or two in a Coen Brothers movie, is such a fully developed person that you get a sense that they're not just a person who's walking in for a scene, that that is just a fully developed character. Like the guy, I can't think of his name, that actor that died last week who was in a lot of Coen Brothers movies, I can't think of his name, but he's the guy who shows up in the middle of of the Big Lebowski as the private detective. Okay, yeah. Do you know that guy? Yeah, yeah. He comes and is like, uh, who's spying on him? He says, I'm a brother Seamus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, who's that? You are the Knudsons. Who the fuck are the Knudsons? <laughs> but that guy is only in that film for one scene, and it's such a fully developed arc in that one scene. Or like, the Jesus is only in Big Lebowski for a couple of scenes, and he's so weirdly developed. To the point now where there are rumours that the Big Lebowski sequel, which is centred around the Jesus, is actually being filmed right now. There's a lot of rumours about that at the moment, which would be weird, let me tell you. But um, that's kind of the way, like, when you're going around a mini Calibre, like, you're, you're playing as a Grim Reaper. So it's obviously going to be quite darkly funny, and everybody's so weird, and it's got this weird Latino theme to it, and it's got this kind of... It's just... It's a very strange little game that came from the mind of a broken man. I really, really like only need someone to go back like and Tim Schafer, only a man like Tim Schafer could have come up with this game. Yeah, like really, only the mind that came up with Day of the Tentacle could have come up with this. Uh, yes, um, um, it's it's so good. I definitely recommend it just for the writing. Like you're not gonna have the most challenging gameplay experience. Like I will say, the puzzles are obtuse as fuck. <laughs> like if you, re- my recommendation is either play this if you're a puzzle, an adventure puzzle game fan, or if you're not find a guide because much like the thing that I think helped kill the adventure game craze in the 90s was how obtuse things got yeah and about how you were putting A and B together to get something that was not C yeah at all it's fair to say that sometimes logic uh, had to be kind of thrown out the window to to progress well what it is is it's it's logic that's reverse engineered from the answer to the question yeah (laughs) because like a good puzzle it should make sense what you have to do to solve it. It should also make you feel smart not, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. It should also not make it feel like it only makes sense in retrospect. Mm. Where, like, the what I'm supposed to do to solve the puzzle will only make sense if I know the answer to the puzzle. You know what I mean? Um, it will also only make sense, perhaps, in the world of the game that you're playing in. But that's, like, that's, that, that is 90s adventure yeah. game. I feel a, like I should nutshell. go back to it, because the, the last... Um, Schaefer game that I played was Broken Age and I only played about a couple of hours of it and it didn't grab me mm. uh, where I feel that Grim Fandango if I go back and play it will grab me because it's certainly more akin to something uh, tonally that I would be interested in yeah it's just it's very silly yes it's very fun like there's there's nothing that quite compares at the moment where you're chasing a bunch of pigeons off a roof with a balloon animal shaped like the poet Robert Frost 
to, by the way, unlock a trophy on PS4 with the quote, Fly, you fools, it's Robert Frost. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, so I that's, think that's us for the week and what we've been playing. Yeah. Shall we hit the news? Let's do that. The news! News on the mark! First and foremost in the news this week, PlayStation had a bit of an event yesterday, Mark. Well, I mean... <sighs> I thought an it was going to be a non-event, a uh, mini E3. Yeah, like it, I, I can't remember who said, but someone said afterwards, like that could easily just been done as like a, a press release. Like, yeah. here's what it is, here's how much it is, blah blah blah. Well, but I he... feel, I was going to say, I feel that. Um, I think I know where this is going. The Mark and Andrew House like came out to try and explain, like this is what 4K, this is what yeah. HDR is, blah 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 blah. I still feel there are a lot of people out there that like. Well, what? (laughs) I think part of it is they saw the confusion that reigned after Xbox tried to launch two consoles at the same time at E3 without really doing a great job of explaining things. No, I think this is more to do with 4K and HDR. Well, yeah, well, I think that's part of it, but like, what I mean is, like, you can't just announce two SKUs in a press release and expect people to figure out the rest. This is true. Like, and that's they they watched. Microsoft basically do two trailers and not really explain a lot of it under the hood. No. Um, um, and as just and mentioned there, they had the added complication of trying to go further into, look, this is who this is yeah. applicable for. I will say this first of all. I think PS4 Pro is not a very good name. No. Um, it makes well, it sound no, quite I don't elitist. Think I don't think it's a very catchy name. What I do think it does is... I think it's a really good name to make sure you aren't confused about what it's for. I think it's very simple that like this is the professional, this is the master edition, this is the edition like the the like they may as well call it the PS4 hardcore. See, I uh, yeah, I I see it as like uh, the person's gonna be playing is like, oh yeah, I'm a pro gamer. I have the PS4 Pro because I'm a real gamer and I can. Well, look, I whatever. I just think that I think that the messaging like. I, I think PS4K I don't think goes far enough in the messaging I don't think Neo really explains it all because if I think of, Neo I think Lawrence Fishburne is take, talking of, to me what I'm thinking of is when you are trying to make this sound as simple as possible who are you trying to make it sound as simple as possible for it's not us it's not even the casual gamer it's for the mothers that are going into GameStop to get the PS4 for Johnny for Christmas yeah but you know what I mean and they're going to know now if the kid sends them for a PS4 the PS4 now, because that is what... The Slim was announced alongside this PS4 Neo, and that now is, going forward, is going to be the standard model of PlayStation 4. So if you want the PS4, that's what you're getting. And now the parents can go in and go, well, PS4 Pro, I know... Even if they don't know the exact teraflops, they know that there's a difference between that and the standard PS4, that it is an upmarket PS4. I That's would... the upside. Like I still not wild about the name. I would but disagree. I think it does make a distinction. I would disagree that that's who Sony are aiming this at, but I but also see it, I see the logic behind it. That's as well. what a substantial amount of these things are aimed at, because what it is is you don't want to anger or confuse a market that are happy to buy your product at the moment. Yeah, I I don't know. I still because feel I, that you this could, is... you could call. But the thing is, right? You could call them anything. The only reason to call it PS4 Pro is if you're trying to explain it to people that don't understand the difference. You could call it PS4, like, PS4K, PS4 Neo, and people like us, or people who follow this shit, are going to know. And that's the people who are really realistically going to buy it. I, I still feel that this is being aimed at and discussed in a way where it's, look, 
play this and enjoy this, try and have a 4K TV or whatever equivalent as well. Um, yeah, that I, I I see the logic where you're coming yeah. from. But like, I do disagree. But, but like, like put the what I, like my final point of this like put put it side by side, right? If a mother's going in and is going to buy a PS4, right? And they see PS4 and PS4 Pro. They have much more of a chance of telling the difference between that and going into a shop and saying, which one do you want, Xbox One S or Xbox One Scorpio? Yeah, well, no, I get that. You know what I mean? Like, what I'm saying is, I'm I'm saying that neither company has done a fantastic job marketing it perfectly. What I'm saying is the one one of the bonuses I will give to Sony is they've done a much better job of clarifying than Microsoft did. Yeah. I know what I'm getting in both boxes, and I think enough of a distinction has been made that most, not all, but most people are going to be able to know the difference between the two Mm. when it comes to market, and that's the important thing, is that the consumer is able to differentiate, rather than it looking like you're doing two identical boxes. Now, what I will say is that uh, I'm surprised by the cost. Wow, they have, both of us, when both those costs came out, there was two, whoa, off in a good way. $399 or £349. Which makes me very happy for when my launch PS4 finally kicks the bucket. What makes me happy is that we live in a day and age where they're starting to understand that there is a fucking difference between dollars and pounds and euros. Yeah. Um, and it's not all the same across the board, certainly yeah. in this uh, post-Brexit world that we live in. Yeah, so it'll probably be, I think it's going to be about €300. Euro. I think, hmm. um, because if I look at three hundred forty-nine pounds, that should be about two ninety-nine. Yeah, in your maybe. Either way, it launches on November the tenth, and uh, I mean, you know, we all knew it was coming. Uh, no one knew exactly when, but you know, November tenth is a pretty good, pretty good date. Um, they gave a, a list of games that you're going to really kind of see the benefits of this with. We had some uh, trailer footage from the likes of Horizon, um, uh, the new Mass Effect game. Uh, there are people complaining about why wasn't this game shown, why wasn't that game shown. There's plenty of fucking opportunities going forward for people to see stuff, whether it's from FIFA or whatever else. Um, I can't say I'm particularly bothered about it, but that's because A, <laughs> I don't have the money, and B, I yeah. don't have a television no, where, uh, no, where I'm going to see the benefits of no, this. No, I'm not going out my way to buy either one of these. Like, it's not... Um, I, I've no... Because I have a PlayStation 4 that works. Yeah. But uh, what I will say is, um, I'm happy to to find out that like when it comes time to replace, because like if you're a guy, if you're someone who like buys these consoles, there is going to come a time where it's going to break. It just it's it's just what happens. Yeah. I'm I'm happy to find out that it's going to be easy to it's going to be easy and cost effective. Like I'm not going to have to pay even if I wanted a pro. If by the time my PS4 breaks, I fancy the pro. And it won't be for the 4K resolution. Like, it'll be for, like, the HDR, which is not contingent on the 4K resolution. It's just a kind of prettier resolution in yeah. games. Um, it, it's all about the HDR, as Mark Cerny explained during it, is all about the, the colour saturation that you're able to get with the processing power of the console. Now, I did read something hilarious today as well, that um, current PS4s, uh, for the, um, they, they've got a firmware update coming next week. Yeah, HDR... To some extent, I would doubt to the extent that... No, but also, uh, that only really goes into uh, effect as well. So, HDMI ports on the uh, PS4 currently, or uh, the ones we have at the moment, are 1.4. And for HDR to take effect, it uses the HDMI 2.0 cable Mm. and port. So, it's kind of null and void, but I haven't looked into it because it's it's very technical. 
Um, yeah, yeah like, I, there are positives and negatives yeah. here. Like right now, I, I um, it'd be if, if I was going to like if my PS4 broke today, it'd be PS4 Slim I'm going for because at, at this point there is no real incentive for me to pay the extra hundred quid. No, um, because I don't have a 4K TV. And as I found out, I went and looked at. There's a video of them taking apart the PS4 Slim, mm-hmm. uh, just stripping it down. And as it turns out, the one lingering question I have, because that PS4 Slim is a neat, tidy little box. I yeah. really like the look of it. And the one question I had that worried me has been resolved. Not only can you switch out hard drives on the PS4 Slim. They demand you do it. Believe it or not, it is easier to do than it already oh, is really? on the PlayStation 4. Okay. There is well, a little... One ter- a terabyte li- at the moment, isn't it? Um, the standard one of the PS4 Slim will be one terabyte. terabyte yeah. The standard one at launch for PS4 was 500 gigs, yeah. and the ultimate player edition of the standard PS4 is one terabyte. Mm-hmm. Um, the PS4 Slim will come with standard one terabyte. That's not really any good to me. I have a two terabyte hard drive. Yeah. Um, that's what I'd want to put in it, if not like upgrade to a three terabyte hard drive, if these can support that. Mm-hmm. But uh, on the new PS4 Slims, there's just a little clip on the side. You take the clip off, that exposes the caddy. And then there's a screw on the side. You do the screw and the hard drive slides out. What a world we live in, eh? It's fucking, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so the PS4 Slim is definitely the one I go for. It's a nice sleek little box. Like I said, I have no real reason to go up to the PS4 Pro. They have done uh, great work in ensuring to us the messaging that I was pretty sure I understood correctly at the start, which was that there are no, there are not going to be separate features on games things like that no it's not that it's going to be the exact same disc that goes into both consoles the only thing is there's going to be like patches for the ps4 pro that make the game prettier basically Uh, and even they pointed out in it that not all developers are going to get on board with that anyway no because like i said to you i think (laughs) one of the real challenges is that like now you're talking about developers having to make four skews for the existing generation of consoles Uh, that's that's not gonna happen yeah it's gonna happen with some games and it's gonna happen predominantly with first party games because they're always gonna have to lead the charge with this sort of stuff by being forced to by the, the, the the platform maker but um yeah it just remains to be seen i really like the price point for both of these consoles i really like the the look of both of them as well mm-hmm. i think the people said the ps4 pro it got a bit of shit for looking huge but what i think people need to bear in mind is one it was standing beside the ps4 slim which is supposed to look much smaller than the ps4 so i doubt it is that much bigger than if bigger at all than the standard ps4 as well this is the generation that has the xbox one which is a fucking vcr yeah you know so it's not going to be bigger than that so i will say this cool your jets lads um i definitely feel uh, this um oh that's the other thing it's going to be an exclusive uh, netflix app their partnership with netflix is going to bring 600 hours of 4k streaming on netflix yeah like that and there's going to be that's pretty cool and a a native youtube app as well with 4k and yeah i mean obviously netflix and youtube if you have a 4k tv this is the console you're going to want yeah, to get yeah, yeah. because like it's the same price that an entry point PS4 was at launch so you might as well Yeah. if you were thinking about it if you have a 4K TV if you don't though the PS4 Slim is a mighty chance yeah Um. It. I still feel that we are like mid-generation this definitely doesn't feel like a, a, a new generation which some people were saying but I'm not seeing it. It feels like um, you know just an extension of, of what is already available at the moment yeah 
And uh, yeah, and as you said, like uh, pr- price-wise, um, I'm a little bit surprised that they're coming out as um, not as cheap, but for the price that they are. Like I was I know, expecting like an extra hundred. So uh, yeah. yeah, well done, Sony. Yeah, and that's also put a lot of pressure on the price point that Xbox One Scorpio is going to come out at. And a lot of people are already speculating that it is going to be more expensive because Microsoft's messaging since in the 24 hours since that conference is all about pointing out not that it's going to be the same price, but pointing out that Scorpio is more powerful. Yes. As if laying the groundwork for, of course, it's more expensive. It's a better console, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, as someone pointed out, when you have the mind share and market lead that Sony does, the fact that your console is a teraflop and a half more powerful doesn't fucking matter to no. the consumer. The, like the the niche that that does apply to aren't the ones that you need to be winning over at this time to be honest uh, what's next uh, Apple ha- speaking of uh, tech events Apple had their iPhone 7 it unveiling was quite the day yesterday in amongst the garbage fire of them removing the headphone jack and everybody going crazy about that but they did it because they were courageous they had the courage yeah. to remove the headphone yeah, jack I was using the word courage yes for fuck's sake um, in the middle of all this this maelstrom a young man by the name of Shigeru Miyamoto <laughs> popped up. And what did he have to say, Mark? Uh, he was announcing Flappy Bird 2. <laughs> uh, no. Um, I mean, obviously, like, Nintendo are, you know, in the mobile game market now. Uh, but they announced a fucking Mario game for for the, for the iOS. And like, it'll be on I Android thought, as well. I, I think you were agreeing with me that, like, surely the knockout of the park obvious game that they were going to announce at some point was uh, Animal Crossing. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I guess we'll still see it at some point, but obviously Mario is the recognisable mascot, mascot to go with. Yeah. It looks like an endless runner. I don't think it is exactly like that. Um, I'll be curious to see how it actually plays. Yeah, the Flappy Plumber. A Flappy Plumber, yep. Um, I don't a know. Flappy Bird. Well, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's fucking Mario on yeah. iOS. I mean... It's crazy. What a world. It's crazy. And uh, IGN has an interesting list of like games that they think would really do well if they were ported over. I don't know if Animal Crossing was on the list, but the first two really uh, gave me pause for thought. Metroid Prime, a touch version of Metroid Prime, mm, would be interesting. Yeah. And I think iPhone, like, it, phones now would be powerful enough to run Metroid Oh, yeah, Prime and considering sure. some of the things I've seen fucking running off of the... Uh, like, yeah, in fairness, considering the... there are some phones that can do fucking VR. Yeah, I know, right? Um, yeah. And the other one that really made me go, oh no, Pokemon Snap. Yes. Pokemon Snap yes. on iOS would be something else, wouldn't it? Oh my god. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, that remains to be seen. This is this will be their proper, like people think Pokemon Go is the first foray in, but it's not really. That, that that's, that's Niantic and the Pokemon company. Nintendo have a very, very small interest in that. This is Nintendo proper's first go at this. Um, so that will be very, very interesting to see what happens there. Uh, PAX, the former PAX Prime, I believe it now it's called PAX West. It's PAX West, yes. Uh, was last weekend the Penny Arcade Expo. This kind of like weird video game pop culture convention thing that sprang out of the popular webcomic Penny Arcade. Mm-hmm. Years and years ago, they started doing their PAX thing. And from at first, what I gather was it was like originally all about Penny Arcade and related kind of um, kind of web comics. The kind of the like when you think about web comics like XKCD things like that. It's all that kind of like audience yeah. uh, attending, talking about things. 
video games and wider pop culture have creeped in there over the years there's a lot of really cool panels go on there um indie games get a lot of play there a lot of these expos have, have almost like homogenized to being pretty similar across the board now i mean mm. obviously having never been to any of them I can't say, but just it's from... It's just the, the type of news that comes out of them. And the, the type, type of, of news, like... The, the type just, of people that go to them. Yeah, what you see, the, the content that, that comes out of it. Other than um, maybe, like, Gamescom now, which feels to be, like, mm. the real kind of but, proper... Yeah. Almost doing what E3 was doing, and yeah. in some ways better than E3 now. Um, yeah. Uh, what, I think PAX is, what I think PAX is, like, mainly about, if I were to pick up what a focus is for PAX, I think it's indie games and uh talking panels yeah. not yeah. as opposed to press conferences mm. um and this year we saw a few games at it um there's one that obviously both of us really want to talk about here but tell me about sonic mania and forza horizon here the other two games you've written up um i mean i didn't look too much at, at forza horizon um i haven't spent too which, much which by the way i could not think of the life for the life of me on last week's show, the name Forza Horizon. <laughs> I was trying to think of, me and Brian were talking about how they do Forza one year and then Forza's sort of spin-off the other year and yeah. I could not think of Forza Horizon. All right. But, uh, you know, it looks good. Looks like a pretty good racing game. Um, I haven't had a racing game in a while, so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll invest in it uh, with an Xbox One. Um, Sonic Mania, it looks like the Sonic game that people would want to play you know yeah. it, it has it has a, a feel of sonic cd in the the kind of sound design and uh, the visual kind of representation it's just it just looks like a mix of all the early sonic games you know we was talking last week about the the original trilogy and just the the team that are doing this you know they clearly know what they're doing mm. um you know they showed uh green hill zone but they showed like some of the additional features so now um where like the bottom of the level is you can actually go further underneath into this kind of cavern sort of area and it's a real kind of seamless transition and it looks really really nice um and then they showed i think it's studiopolis zone um which was uh had a kind of like carnival night sort of feel to it and yeah just it looks like a mega drive sonic game um and it's amazing and it kind of says a lot that we know more about that game than we do the new 3D uh, Sonic game, which no there one probably cares reasons about. for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about the main event for us, motherfucking Cuphead. Now, I didn't actually realise that Cuphead has been this thing that's been uh, a couple of years. I've yeah, been I, I only like saw or heard about Cuphead at E3. Uh, E3 last year, anyway, for sure. It was in a sizzle reel on the Microsoft stage for like a couple of seconds. I and completely everyone was it. like, wah! <laughs> so for anyone that doesn't know, Cuphead, uh, it has the kind of visual animation style of like, like very... A, like an 80-year-old cartoon. Yeah, like very early Disney, like um, Steamboat Willie, but like yeah. in colour. Um, yeah. It looks incredible. Mm. Like, f oh my God. Yeah, and it's a, like it's a classic kind of platformer or like with, or is it like more of a it looks like a kind of classic 2d side scrolling yeah. bullet hell platformer yeah. um i this is my jam yeah. <laughs> yeah. xbox exclusive is it or is it on pc as well i think it's xbox exclusive um uh, which does upset me somewhat but hey i'll be playing it you have one so yeah. and it is two player so uh i am really we uh, got to see some boss battles on this yeah and I, so i think that's how 
in December, I want to say. It's, it, well, uh, it's nebulously 2016. Okay. Um, if it is, uh, I want to play that before the end of the year and before yeah. we do our end of the year mm. podcast because I, I can already tell, like, if if what I saw there is an overall representation of that game, that will be a top five for me. It also has a thing where uh, very Dark Souls-esque when you uh, damage a boss a certain amount and he goes into about half health, he starts changing up his attacks. Yep. Um, which is scary. It just... it. Oh so good it's like one of the best animated things uh like best animated looking games we've been playing in a while actually do you know what's a i think i'll be talking about next week because i'm only just started tipping into it and it will be your jam if you haven't played it already i've started playing hyper light drifter i have wanted to have a go at that it's neon zelda yes yes and it's it's pretty great i think that kind it's 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 like if, if zelda and fez had a child it looks like what i thought titan souls was going to be yeah. uh but titan souls really went the shadow of the colossus route and being mm. just boss battles mm. where hyperlight drifter seems to be ticking all the right boxes it's pretty good yeah i, it's, I need it's to pretty play strong that. i need to play that um what do we got next here on the list uh this one surprised me when you put it up there interplay uh there's a name from the past i know right uh, selling off some of their ip all right you, you might have heard people at home you might have heard of some of these ips uh, Clay Fighters, Earthworm Jim, and Baldur's Gate. Yeah, going to be auctioned off. So you got some pennies down the back of the couch. Tell us more about this story. I mean, there isn't really too much to it. I mean, as you said, like I haven't heard the name Interplay in quite some time. Um, yeah, basically, I know they're just selling off their library. Like I don't even know what Interplay consists of anymore. Are they an actual developer still, or just a uh, they are described by Kotaku as a strange licensing entity? Yeah, it's very bizarre. Um, but yeah, they've got a library. Of it's about... selling off its entire library of video game assets and intellectual. It's property. about seventy games and dozens of characters. Um, now, <laughs> do you know what an interesting thing? An interesting thing that's a limbo. What is still technically an Interplay IP, but because it is. I think legally now in the clutches of somebody else makes it less interesting. It's Fallout. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, I, I, I thought Clay Fighters was a good game when I was about seven. Uh, and then I looked at it years later and realised, no, you're kind of terrible. I, I Maybe someone might want to take on Earthworm Jim, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything you can do there with it. Um, yeah, looking at the, the list of games, there's nothing there that kind of strikes to me of uh, being something that someone will want to take on board. But don't know yeah i don't know uh pokemon go and this seems like a fairly obvious thing to do to extend the uh the desire and the interest in that game and the news cycles around it uh, pokemon go is coming to apple watch smart it's a it's a niche thing not everybody has the apple watch but i, I like i looked at the the display for your stats and stuff like that through the apple watch and that looks cool yeah one of the major drawbacks i've always had with pokemon go during the time i was playing it is the fact that um, I have to leave the screen on my phone on at all times and that's part of what drains down the battery so quick. So if I can just like, oh, my watch is beeping, there must be a Pokemon. Yeah. That would be excellent. That solves a lot of problems with that game for me. Um, so I like that idea. Well, any, have we got a, a, a date on that? Uh, looks like yeah, it's just going to be available before the end of the year. 
Uh, but yeah, for the looks of it, so you still have to use your iPhone to actually catch Pokemon. Yeah. You can hatch eggs, visit Pokestops, and keep track of what Pokemon you have with the watch. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, you, you have to leave your screen on for it to count your steps for yeah. the, the, the eggs, which was mind-numbingly awful. Yeah. Uh, I can't say I'm going to buy an iWatch specifically yeah. for this. That seems But if you have one, you'll be, you'll be happy with that. I think Jack has one, so he's sorted. <laughs> uh, speaking of packs, right? So I talk about packs and how... Um, there are these panels where weird things happen. There are like um, Pat Bear, the UCB comedian, hosts a very entertaining panel every at every PAX called 404ing It, where like every panel guest brings some uh, weird clips from the internet and mm-hmm. they talk over it, mm-hmm. uh, MST3K style. Um, Cards Against Humanity have an annual panel. This year they teamed up with Giant Bomb for their panel and that was a very entertaining panel. I believe the panel was called Cards Against Humanity and Giant Bomb. A very bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know, have you ever seen the cards panels before? Yes. They do their customer service emails on stage. Yeah. Which is absolutely fantastic. Uh-huh. I love everything about Cards Against Humanity. Yeah. Uh, there was one where there was like uh, someone emailed in this year and said... Uh, what's the difference between the the big black box and the standard edition of the game and they replied there is no big black box even cards against humanity doesn't exist <laughs> uh shit like that that's it's pretty good or it is a uh, i wanted someone emailed in uh are you a pax where are you going to be a pax i'd love to come and meet you guys and they replied uh dear jason or whatever the guy's name was the call is coming from inside the house <laughs> cards against humanity <laughs> uh yeah so you get some fun panels there and no panel is more fun or more chaotic or more weird it's... than what used to be called... It has grown into its own monster, but it used to be called PAX Wrestling, Yeah. where a bunch of kind of indie game developers and video game journalists and video game personalities get together and play N64 wrestling games. WrestleMania 2000 it is usually, isn't it? Yeah, it's usually the one they use for the Rumble. Um, so they, But they've they, expanded it out now to yeah, other games. Yeah, they, they did... Did they do Dive Kick as a mini game one year? Um, no, I know they did uh, like Slam Masters Champion or something for the SNES. And they did, and they used they did Gang Beast as well. Yes, they used Gang Beast for like a qualifier to get into yeah. the Rumble. Um, and as time went on with these, they started shooting wrestling angles in yeah, it with different did. factions like the Indie Love Coalition and Team GFB, standing for Get Fucked Boy. <laughs> Which yes, I do have a run GFB T-shirt upstairs. In I'm my, sure you do. In my drawer, um, eat, sleep, bop, repeat, and all that. <laughs> um, and there have been like amazing characters. Like if you follow the industry in any way and you understand who these people are, it is the funniest fucking thing. Uh, like the one year where like Greg Miller of Kind of Funny is their commissioner, and they had to evacuate the building because they were in a building too small to have a fog machine, and they had the fog machine. And then, uh, so Greg Miller's popular catchphrase spawning what has apparently been an unreasonably successful t-shirt. <laughs> Greg Miller repeatedly yelling to turn on the fog machine. <laughs> but in between the last packs and this one, it's become a proper splinter thing. And it's its own promotion now called the League of Heels. And they have an actual belt. And do you want to describe what you saw at the League of Heels uh, Pax Rumble this year? Uh, I saw what is the actual, like, literal equivalent of a garbage fire. Yeah. Uh, as it is every I'll tell you what, no, the last one, the one before this, Pax Mania 2, that was a shit show. Well, which one was that? That was the one that, like, nothing made sense. They ran oh, out of time on everything. Yeah, where they nothing had, was like, working. nothing was actually on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, to be fair, the first one was a garbage fire. The bit where Greg Miller decides to pole drive, was it like a dummy or sink off the table? And oh, and the like... table didn't break and no, he fell off it. But last one was the one where Dan Riker dropped an elbow and Greg and legitimately broke two of his ribs. Yes, yes. So for this one, Greg came out in a wheelchair <laughs> using a speaking spell <laughs> to speak. Turn on, Turn on, on the fog machine. machine. Uh, yeah, uh, so um, Austin Walker, a.k.a. For, formerly of Giant Bomb, currently uh, the, the chief lead, editor the, the for, Vice. for Vice Gaming. Uh, who who are about to be rebranded as something else? He said. Are they? Yeah, he was on Beast last week, and he was saying that it's going to have a different name. Okay. But they're at gaming.vice.com now. But they're right. gearing up and taking people on for when they do the rebrand. I think later this month. Okay. And he emailed me back the other day. And he's a very nice man. So. Uh, he's everything I have heard about him is that he's a lovely man. Yes. But uh, yes, Austin Walker, aka Professor Killer, aka oh, he has a number of aliases. Yeah. Uh, go and look them up. Um, yeah, he became the new League of Hills champion. Yeah, redesign was it rebi- redesign, rebuild, redistribute the belt. <laughs> that was his t-shirt. If you like the schlocky world of pro wrestling and you like the garbage fire of indie game development and video game journalism, it's great. And I must say, and I, I didn't think, because going back years, my favorite character of Pax Wrestling is of course Doctor Tracksuit. Of course, aka Conrad Traxway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought him not being there this year and his uh, his advocate Jeff Gerstmann simply just being a commentator this year wouldn't be as good but Jeff Gerstmann knocked it out of the park oh, come on, he's, he's a good man um, yeah it's if you have an hour spare go back and watch any of them it's, it's and Pat Bear just, is great as well yes as the, the referee in, in what he calls the bear cave uh, they're all great uh, yeah. John Drake is great uh, oh John Drake aka Johnny Cashanova yeah yeah in a also, suit made out of money. Also, formerly known as the Underdraker. The Underdraker. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's and very niche. Vignette, yeah, and the constant vignettes of like every five minutes the company was getting bought by somebody yes. else, which is an excellent it's, like WCW parody it's, happening there. It's very niche. Uh, I just. It's I, only going to appeal in the way it does to us to a very small yeah. amount of people. I think everybody who watches it will find something funny about yeah. it. Uh, what I do miss about it, and I know for time constraints they don't do it anymore, is when they did the individual entrances for everybody one yeah, year, and like Dan Riker came out with the American flag pants and the American flag behind him, and Dave Lang was pouring beer into his face from over the flag. Fucking idiots! <laughs> like, but for people, for, for people like um, Riker and certainly like Navarro as well, like to just live out their kind of childhood fantasies. Okay, the wolf. Of, uh, A.K. the Wolf of just being like these kind of large in life wrestling personalities without yeah. actually having to wrestle. Well, whose mask is it? It's the Great Sasuke, I think. Great, yeah, the Great Sasuke. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised it's not Hayabusa because, like, when Hayabusa died, uh, Navarro was talking about like how like massive a fan he was of him. But yeah, it's just it's an absolute shit show in it's the great. best way possible. Yeah, it's, it's a great hour and a half. It's kind of like when I it'll think it'll be of... up on Giant Bombs unarchived uh, YouTube channel. Well, it's up on. Um... I think they're all up just, on the League of Heels just, website. All right, so just go to yeah. League of it's leagueofheels.com, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is this amazing, like, 90s-looking website. It's like, all geocities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has, like, full bios for everybody. It's fucking ridiculous. It's great. Um, it is, like... It, for me, I've wanted to go to uh, an American kind of conference or expo, like, PAX or whatever. Yeah. And this is quickly becoming one of the big selling points for wanting to go to one yeah. of them. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, wait for the day that E3 goes, fuck it, look, we need to... We need to get in on this. Get a slice of the pie. Tell me about Space Channel 5 VR. Okay, have you ever played Space Channel 5? No. It's... Okay, Space Channel 5 is like uh, um, the Eurovision of video games for me. You know? Okay. Uh, when everyone thinks about what I like in a video game, 
they wouldn't immediately think Space Channel 5. When people think of what I like in music, they wouldn't immediately think Eurovision, and you'd be wrong. Uh, so I only quickly looked up about this because they announced that they were doing something with this. But basically, yeah, Space Channel 5 was uh, on the Dreamcast, which is, of course, because everything mental was on the Dreamcast, or just in the 90s with Sega. Uh, and yeah, there's a, a VR version of it. Um, I don't know how that's going to work exactly. Uh, but yeah, Space Channel 5 is like a kind of rhythm action game, like you kind of bust a, bust a, bust move. a move, bust a move, yeah, or Dance Dance Revolution, uh, but it's even more Japanese, if you can believe that. And yeah, there was a, it's like a teaser trailer, and uh, apparently there's going to be some more stuff at this year's TGS, uh, so keep an eye out for that. Will do, will do. Yeah, that isn't the typical game I'd associate with you. Well, look what got dug up <laughs> from the grave. <laughs> Batman Return to Arkham has been reannounced for October 21st, 2016. Uh, the collection that is going to include um, the original Batman Arkham Asylum, one of the greatest games ever made, you might argue, and Batman Arkham City, which has... Which was not as good. Which has its mass massive fans, also has its massive detractors. Mm -hmm. Uh, together along with all the DLC for current gen consoles um, yeah we it got taken off pre-order it was briefly up for pre-order after E3 and then it got delayed indefinitely uh, partly because uh, I reckon they didn't want to have the same fiasco they ended up with Arkham Knight they wanted to make sure the game actually worked before they announced the date um, I still to this day that PC port of Arkham Knight was still is the fact that they just gave up on it and cut and run i've never heard of anything like that from yeah. a major company yeah. before i've never it's, like, it's so fucked we don't know how to fix it <laughs> and we definitely don't want to invest the required money it would take to do so oh my god uh but yeah this this version of the game uh which if it works when it comes out i'd be interested in picking up to replay that first one for sure um i wouldn't because uh i thought arkham city was a terrible game and I like Arkham Knight, but yeah. I played through it and I felt that that game was padded out quite a lot. Um, if they had a standalone Arkham Asylum for, I don't know, 12, 15 quid, I would probably pick that up because I yeah, really feel. Good luck with that. Good luck yeah, with I know, good right? Luck. Yeah, yeah, I know. An uh, all time legendary PS3 game being available on PS4 for that much. Oh, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, but no, I feel like they. I feel that they struck lightning in a bottle with that first game, and then they couldn't replicate it to that degree again. Um, as I said, I think Arkham Knight was pretty good, but it on really consoles it's very good. Well, <laughs> but I do feel that they um, they really tried to pad it out and expand on it and make it this kind of big. It's the, that age old problem where um, you you make the first game or the first film, whatever, and then you have to make it like twice as big. It's the second album syndrome. Yeah, 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 to a certain degree. Um, and I also think that Arkham Knights only only have a fonder appreciation for it because it was on Arkham City. Uh, but yeah, if it works, then that's great. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, got delayed indefinitely, and now apparently it's back, so maybe it's working. We'll, we'll see. Hitman news. Woo! Hitman episode 5 is coming out September 27th, 2016. This is from Hitman's website. Uh, the story mission for episode 5 is titled Freedom Fighters and is one not to be taken lightly. Agent 47 must infiltrate... Oh, and you haven't heard the story element to this No, chapter. I didn't know it's in Colorado. 
Agent 47 must infiltrate a Colorado farm compound that has been converted into a private militia training camp. Mm -hmm. With four targets to locate and take out, this will be an intense infiltration mission and the toughest assignment yet for Agent 47. The four targets are Sean Rose, Maya uh, Parvati, Ezra Berg and Penelope Graves. Four very different, very dangerous people with their own specialist skill sets ranging from environmental terrorism to chemical interrogation. Episode 5 will include all new opportunities and disguises plus 70 challenges that will unlock brand new gear, weapons and items for 47 to use in all existing location. Not only that, Episode 5 Colorado also rewards players with huge story revelations as the season builds towards a thrilling climax. Um, yeah, this the season finale is going to arrive later on this year, uh, which will be set in Japan. We don't mm-hmm. know any more details about that yet. But uh, very excited. I love this game. And something we keep meaning to get back to on a stream. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm really interested in the tackling the story element of US domestic terrorism with mm. like the idea of like, because there are these kind of like, it's been a controversial issue in years past, like periodically comes up about these kind of well-trained militias in like the likes of Colorado and places. There's an, there's an excellent part of uh, Michael Moore's documentary Bowling for Columbine that goes and visits like a militia in the woods somewhere in America and it's like real scary shit like yeah. um, so it'll be interesting to see some of those people I'll be interested to see uh, how it handles some of those people yeah so far it's not been uh, heavy handed with uh, stereotypes no it's been more it's had frequent opportunities to be no the, the game feels a lot more I, I don't even know if it's, it's weird to think of a Hitman game as being nuanced. Well, and, and it, yes, it feels light-hearted. You know, yeah, it's it's very uh, the the one eighty the game has had. Like when you think back to a couple of years ago, where uh, you know you had the trailer with a bunch of nuns in uh, leather outfits with machine guns and whatnot, and where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one eighty. I'll be interested to see when that gets kind of fully packaged up as like just a, a game to be released. Um, because I think at that point I'd probably pick it up. Yeah. Well, you've really been you wrote about it in your favorite games of generation so far, and you haven't actually played it. No, I only watched she played. Play it. Yeah. Yeah. Which goes to show just how good it is. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on. Um, two little news stories here for you at the end. Well, actually three. Um, the FIFA demo demo drops next week. Um, not much to say on that. Only that's gonna be interesting to get your first look at uh, how FIFA plays in. It is being put into an all new engine for the first time this year. So the the Pro Evo demo is already live. If you're someone who doesn't buy both and you just pick one or the other, next week is gonna be your time to make that crunch decision because I think at the end of next week, I think Pro Evo's out, or possibly at the start of the following week. You would know more. So about next that, next week is your crunch week. You got your FIFA demo and you've got Pro Evo coming out very soon. So you get to make your decision quite soon. Um. Another one that I want to bring in is our Pokemon news for the week, our Pokemon Sun and Moon news for the week. Uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon has a photo mode similar to much-loved N64 game Pokemon Snap, which is going to delight young Mark Robinson over here. The upcoming 3DS games let you enter first-person view in certain places and snap a shot of nearby Pokemon, and you're judged by the community on the quality of your photo. It looks like there will be an upload mechanic for sharing your pics and the ability to comment on a shot using pre-canned phrases. Like, I'm using motion controls. Uh, Welcome to the world of Nintendo Online. (laughs) Oh, the Miiverse. The trailer shows someone's post having received a number of upvotes, so presumably there'll be a method of seeing images from friends and other players. Nintendo and the Pokemon Company's new trailer includes a glut of fresh information. Here are some of the biggest points, and I'll just go through them. 
There is a Pokemon that looks like an awesome um, nightmare dog with a fin that has a, a knight's helmet and a stone axe on it. I'm, I'm getting an image. And the Pokemon is called Type Colon Null. That is the name of the Pokemon. Type Null. A brand new normal type Pokemon with classic warrior style armor. It was synthetically created like Mewtwo. Right. So there's an interesting back. I imagine that might play into part of the story because there is... Is that going to be a legendary or just... Uh, well, it's normal type. I don't know. Like it, it doesn't say anything more than that. Like It was just one of those... You know the screenshots they have of the Pokemon in yeah. those trailers? Yeah, 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 it's one of those. Okay. There's one called Jangmo-O which looks like a tiny adorable little dinosaur. Uh, it's a dragon type and its ability is that it's bulletproof and soundproof. So presumably it can't be undone by supersonic, which means it is Zubat proof. Wow. Um, there is an Alola form of Raticate, which okay. is adorable because it's got pudgy cheeks. Have you got that up there? Can I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a black Raticate with, with pudgy cheeks, <laughs> which looks cool. <laughs> Sun Moon's Alolan form of classic Pokemon Raticate. We saw the Alolan form of Ratata recently, which I haven't seen. Apparently they become... Oh, it becomes a dark type when it's Alola. Okay, yeah, I can see that. I wonder, like, do they come up with the the amount of Pokemon they want to make for a new game? Get all the drafts uh, ready to go and go from there? Or do you think they just, like, each month, just like, right, here's another 10, here's another 10. Just <laughs> make know. it as they come along. Sun and Moon, one thing they pointed out as well, Sun and Moon are set 12 hours apart and events take place differently in each version of the game due oh, to the different times of day. That's interesting. So that's adding a different reason apart from collecting the whole set why... Uh, obsessive Pokemon people might want to get both versions mm. but uh, I'm certainly down for I've pre-ordered Moon for myself yeah. I'm getting my, my girlfriend I'm getting her son that's the one she wanted as part of her Christmas present okay. but uh, Moon sounds cool to me I've... have you have you decided which one you're going to get when you eventually plunk down no, I, that, you don't understand how I purchase things I just <laughs> go oh I'll get that one it's going to be good I'm looking forward to it looking forward to getting in getting in deep on some Pokemon so I, I don't you, burn myself you, out playing five versions at a time like some people. You don't know the well, all right? You haven't yeah, been there. I don't want right. to be there. Really don't want to be there. It's deep and They dark. talk about uh, a woman <clears throat> named Lusamine, who is the president of the Ether Foundation, which is a good team which rivals the Team Skull. They're the evil dudes in this. And they are like... Team Skull. Yeah. They are Pokemon researchers, and I think they are might be like partly responsible or at least involved in the tale that involves these synthetic Pokemon. I'm curious to see. Cause also, considering this is, like, inter- this is interesting to me as well, but go on, yeah. I was going to say, like the last couple of games where you've had guys trying to destroy the world in a number of ways, whether through like time or space. The environment. Or the environment. Um, are they going to raise an army of the undead? I don't know. Um, also, there are side quests throughout the region, the Alola region, where you find collectibles uh, to form the legendary Pokemon Zygarde. So you find Zygarde cells and Zygarde cores all around Alola and if you collect all of them you summon Zygarde. Uh-huh. You know the big diamondy snake that's the like the post yeah, script yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the post game in X and Y. Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool oh. to add another dimension to that. Um I can't remember what else oh yeah the the name of the the there's a type of Pokemon that Ether Foundation are researching called Ultra Beasts. I don't know a lot about them, but I'm assuming they're a different kind of like legendary or rare Pokemon. Um, 
Yeah, there seems to be a lot to this game. There is a lot going yeah. on. Yeah, well, in fairness, they've taken like an extra year or two out than they normally would in between new versions. Yeah, it just shows. Yeah, so uh, looking forward to that. That's out in November. That's, Jesus, that's going to be it before you know it. Yeah, and finally, uh, Steven Spielberg, not to be confused with his non-unionized Mexican equivalent from uh, The Simpsons, Esteban Spielberg. <laughs> Who made the Mr. Burns short film in one of the best episodes of The Simpsons of all time. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> Steven Spielberg is currently in Birmingham in the UK. Poor soul. <laughs> uh, a city you're definitely a fan of based on how you wrote this out in the show notes. Uh, filming uh, a very eagerly awaited adaptation of Ernest Cline's Ready Player One. Yeah, now you recommended that to me. We was in, uh, was it Waterstones? Yeah. Uh, a couple of months ago. And so. What I... was my. I remember I had a great elevator pitch for it. Oh, what was it? I was like Willy Wonka with 80s references. Yeah, something along those yeah. lines. <laughs> and, you know, video games. But yeah, so Ready Player One, um, it's basically, if you've ever played Second Life, it's like that, but even bigger. Yeah, um, well, I'll give the synopsis from IMDb here. Sure. Um, when the creator of an uh, an MMO called the Oasis dies, he releases a video in which he challenges all Oasis users to find his Easter egg, which will give the finder his fortune. Wade Watts finds his first clue and starts the race for the egg. Yeah. Uh, who's in that? Uh, Simon Pegg. Oh, cool. Ben Mendelsohn. Uh... Uh, TJ Miller. Mark Rylance, who yes. won an Oscar. This See, these year. are all just names that I know, but I can't put a face to them. <laughs> Uh, that's always my problem with tj miller is the dude who was the bartender in deadpool yep yep okay gotcha uh mark rylance who won an oscar this year um who's the bfg in the bfg okay this year uh ty sheridan is the main uh the main dude but yeah no i i've seen i don't know if you've seen any uh pictures but i think the the important thing is here spielberg yes well obviously. and ernest klein is writing the screenplay oh excellent with Zach Penn. that's good but yeah, I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures uh, they've taken around Birmingham, and it mm-hmm. just yeah looks like Birmingham. So you know, <laughs> I can very see certain times the graffiti looks really good. I can see why he set it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm very curious to see. Uh, I've actually got a friend of mine on. Um, oh, Tyson! But the guy, the guy who's playing the main character in Ready Player One is the guy who played Young Scott Summers in X Men Apocalypse. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. he was pretty good. Yeah. But yeah, no, I got a friend. Next, Scott Summers looked like an absolute bitch, like in well, the original yeah. tree. But no, I got a friend of mine who lives just outside of Birmingham. I think, and she's been taking pictures, and it's been cool seeing like what they've been doing and uh, get a little bit. Very of excited. I love Spielberg. Look. I yeah. love Spielberg. Do you know what's criminally underrated of his? Minority Report. <laughs> minority Report's a great fucking film. You have mentioned Minority Report to me on so, a number of it's occasions. So good. It's it's really good. Like it's, I, I believe you, Dave. I think one of Colin Farrell's better roles as an utter shitheel as well. Well, Colin Farrell is one of two extremes. He's either really good uh, yeah, in Bruges, Alexander. or he's um, bullseye. Okay, or oh, you never miss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's such a, like, a cringy Irish accent he has in that as well. More peanuts, please. <laughs> <laughs> see, I can't tell whether you're trying to be Colin Farrell there in, in bullseye or trying to be Conor McGregor. I need to sit you down and uh, you need to watch like the, the Martin McDonough films and like the popular Irish independent films that he sometimes shows up in. Mm-hmm. Like, they're actually really good, like Intermission mm-hmm. and uh, a few others like that. Like You love In Bruges, don't you? I love In Bruges. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of cadre of yeah. like uh, there was Intermission, fuck, Perrier's Bounty, The Guard, which is Brandon Gleeson as a drug addict guard on the west coast of Ireland. Jesus. 
it's great and his he, he you know who is he's in the double act with yeah. an FBI agent played by Don Cheadle okay Brendan Leeson and Don Cheadle in Galway it's great that sounds if you want to get me really kind of ingrained into the culture of Ireland that's the way to yeah, do it yeah there's a great one where like there's a great clip from it I don't want to spoil the film where like Don Cheadle is talking about uh, this average street price for cocaine and uh, Brendan Leeson's Galway guard interrupts and he's just like excuse me there agent I don't know what street you're buying your cocaine on but it's not the same street I buy my cocaine on <laughs> It's really good. It's like, it's like Father Ted doing a crime thriller. Yeah, I think I I, I can't remember whether it's on the podcast or uh, in our real lives where we've discussed um, some of the more famous attempts at the Irish accent in uh, in film, and uh, I think we both agreed that Jim Broadbent in Perry's Bounty is horrendous. Uh, Brad Pitt in Snatch is pretty much like spot on. For... It's the proper like Waterford traveller kind of accent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, blue eyes. Uh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is Far appalling. Away, yeah, it's yeah. just um, historically bad. And then who's your clown in PS? I love you. Uh, Jared Butler. Jared Butler. That's yeah. also appalling. Well, in fairness, he when he was in Three Hundred, he was the biggest Scotsman in the world. Yeah. Uh, so now, one of my favorite accents in films ever is uh, horrible accents. Is Sean Connery doing an Irish accent in The Untouchables? Oh God, yes. Yeah. Yes. They bring a knife. You bring a gun. <laughs> That's the Chicago way. It's like, why are you even trying? He just was a slightly more musical Sean Connery. Or when he's in The Hunt for Red October as a Russian with a Scottish accent. He, uh... I love Sean Connery. He makes my Irish accent seem fucking uncanny. Yeah. In I love Sean Connery, apart from the fact he's a massive misogynist and arsehole in real life. Well, he's like 90, so... Yeah. You know. Well, he's the one that, like, repeatedly goes, no, sometimes you need to hit a woman. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, for fuck's sake, you ass <laughs> you you thousand year old ass hey, sorry he'll be dead soon yeah <laughs> what a fitting way to <laughs> end the news for this week anyway right we're going to move on to uh, after a, a brief intermission we're going to move on to our book club feature for this week and it is arguably one of the most famous uh, multiplayer games of all time and a real standard bearer for the multiplayer shooter it is Time Splitters 2. Splitters 2 is a first-person shooter video game developed by Free Radical Design and published by uh, Eidos Interactive. It was released for the PlayStation 2, GameCube and the Xbox, the original Xbox game consoles, in October 2002 in North America, Europe and Japan. It is the second game in the Time Splitters Splitters series and a sequel to the original Time Splitters. Uh, the game features a single-player mode consisting of ten levels in which the player assumes the role of one of two space marines as they attempt to stop the alien race of time splitters from ruining history by collecting the time crystals in various time periods, ranging from the Wild West to the 25th century. It has several, several multiplayer modes. A sequel, Time Splitters Future Perfect, was released in 2005, uh, also developed by Free Radical and polish, uh, published by Electronic Arts in June 2007. And another sequel is announced to be in development titled Time Splitters 4, which has yet to be released to this day. Uh, God bless Wikipedia. Dave Ryan. 
talk to me about Time Splitters 2. Even when though I... I'm the one that announced this for the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I think uh, Time Splitters, and specifically Time Splitters 2, the immediate word that comes to mind is fun. Yeah. Um, I know we've talked before about how, like, predominantly speaking, both yourself, myself, and Brian are predominantly single-player-focused game gamers, mm-hmm. first and foremost. Yep. There have always been certain exceptions to that for all of us. Um, you love your GoldenEye multiplayer very, very much. Both of us love our Mario Kart multiplayer very, very much. Um, well, you did until you started playing me. I enjoy GTA Online very, very much. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, certain exceptions throughout history. No Mercy. Oh, no mercy. like that. Um, I liked earlier Mario Parties because mm-hmm. I'm a broken nightmare person. Uh, we can both be in that category. But um, Time Splitters is definitely in amongst that. Um, it was probably the first multi proper multiplayer game that I got really into after I got to PlayStation 2. Mm-hmm. I got a PlayStation 2 and for the first while all I had for it were Smackdown Just Bring It. That was the that was the first one that was on. That was the third one, first one on PS2. Yeah. yeah. So that was the first PS2 Fred one. Dust, represent. Yeah, and I had Silent Hill 2. Not quite the multiplayer classic. No. And it would be a year then. It would be. It would actually be around the same time Time Splitters Two came out that I got my first PS2 FIFA game. But I have never really been like. Um, and it was probably because the, the thing that made me so bored and not want to do FIFA in particular multiplayer was probably because like with you at Mario Kart, is probably the nearest comparison. It's like none of my friends were close to as proficient at FIFA as I was. So multiplayer got very boring for me. So now I've gotten to the point where now that I have the online capability to play that game as much as I want, it's so hardwired into me as a single player experience yeah. that I just don't parlay into it very much. However, <clears throat> Time Splitters 2 is one of the first games I remember playing with the exception of like Mario Party and a couple of others where I'm pretty sure the majority of the time I played that game was just for multiplayer. Mm-hmm. you know like usually if I was going to play a multiplayer game it was a game I was picking up for the single player that I was going to play substantially on my own and then the multiplayer was a nice bonus Um, but Time Splitters 2 is this kind of thing where like the the, the, the couch multiplayer the, the bygone era of couch multiplayer was at its peak for me um, I, I've always loved the zany design of things the weird nature like I am I have always been a massive fan of time travel related farces like i love time bandits and i love back to the future and shit like that and that really kind of the, the time splitter series really plays in the heartstrings with the having a bit of fun with time travel and, and the the classic time cop time cop obviously <laughs> obviously um so it, it plays at that it's a game that um doesn't take itself too seriously that's no, for sure no. um it doesn't overcomplicate mechanics i think years after this when the era of the modern military shooter came in and i think even actually it would be around this time because i think the the first military like realistic military shooter i remember that started really overcomplicating things was the socom series um so i i think what this game does perfectly is that it really does keep your weapons simple it it people who don't usually play shooters very much understand what the basic range of weapons are going to do in this there's no need for like uh deep uh tutorials on mechanics and things like that like it lists here on wikipedia 
your weapons include handguns, rifles, submachine guns, shotguns, rocket launchers, a grade launchers, various explosives, a crossbow, flamethrower, fire extinguisher, and a brick. There's no real, like, you're not talking about uh, having to sit... Some, like, there are definitely games where if you sit someone down to play it for the first time, you're going to have to let them play through the tutorial for half an hour before they're able to play it properly. Um, the one I think of particular that I've played a lot recently is Titanfall. But uh, Time Splitters 2 is a real pick-it-up-go. And you're having fun in there. It's a game I played a fair bit at the time. PlayStation 2 was my console of choice, like I said at the time. It was available on GameCube. I don't think I ever saw a copy of a GameCube in person. Uh, I actually did the other day. Did you? Yeah. How much was it on GameCube? I now? don't... I can't imagine that would be a very easy disc to find. I don't remember. It was in the Rage. But I didn't actually yeah. look at the price. I just saw it. I was like, oh yeah, Times please. GameCube. Um... But yeah, like to boil it down to where like to boil it down to two words: simplicity and fun. Um, and it's one of those games that if you're a child of that era, if you were like a, a tween as we were when this game came out, if you, video games were your thing, there are two games I think are spoken of in real kind of uh, lofty terms when it comes to PS2 era awesome multiplayer. And it's this and Soul Calibur. Like I remember just. Every time I'd read a PlayStation official magazine or anything like that, that a new shooter would come along, you'd be like, oh, it's great. It's no Time Splitters 2. Yeah. Or much like with fighting games, it's great. It's not Soul Calibur 2. You yeah. know, that kind of thing. So it, it is, um, it's a no-brainer for us to have here as an important game. Yeah. See, the thing with Time Splitters 2, uh, and I didn't realise this at the time, but it was, it was the... GoldenEye sequel that I'd been looking for um, kind of well GoldenEye and Perfect Dark but it was the sort of next yeah. gen sequel that I'd been looking for it's spiritual successor yeah and I mean I at the time didn't realise it it's only when going back and looking at research but um, you know the, the game was made by people that worked on GoldenEye yeah um, and certainly when I went back and I looked at footage and I was listening like the guns and uh the, the sound the, the foley art yeah it's it's all kind of ripped straight out of like the raw golden eye data files you know yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The, the gun firing is exactly the same and i uh at the age of jesus what had i been there um 2002 so it was 10 so it was about 14 i think uh i, I just completely glossed over me now, also, when people think about the PS2, they don't immediately think of um, it as a great uh, four-player multiplayer machine. You know, I don't remember many people having the four-player um, uh, expansion. Multitap. The multi-tap, yeah. I had one. I didn't. No, but for the most part, uh, for me and my group of friends, when it came to playing four-player, it was we were still playing the N64, and we was playing the Gold, uh, GameCube. For, yeah, we used to do. We, we used to do two-player. Winner stays on. Yeah, so usually when it came to multiplayer, um, usually we would stick to two-player like Tekken or um, uh, SSX Three. They were the kind of the key ones. So Time Splitters, I didn't get to play as much uh, kind of multiplayer with other people. Um, I had to play it with a lot of time with like the bots. Uh, I never got to see the online capabilities of it because uh, it didn't have any. Yeah, <laughs> you were you were lush enough to get the multi tab. You were lush enough to get the Ethernet. Uh, was it 
like a port expansion thing something like that we're talking the early days here yeah. so yeah although i will say i i always thought the uh the the playstation network animation at the time was a really cool little you know the like the infinity loop mm, yeah that was a really cool little symbol i never used it yeah so i had to spend actually a lot of time um just with the single player mode mm. now time splitters in general wasn't really known to this day when people think of time splitters they think of the multiplayer yeah. But the the single player was was a kind of a very uh, kind of seamless, um, really well performing uh, experience mm. um, because it took out and all of the performance issues that Goldeneye has. Yeah. Uh, certainly, and you want to talk player. about like if it wasn't already clear to you that there are spiritual successor things going on with Goldeneye, the fact that one of the opening shots of the first level of Time Splitters Two is this massive dam, yeah, which is. More than a little reminiscent of the opening of Goldeneye. Oh, there you go, exactly. Like, obviously, you start out at different locations. When you see a dam that looks like that, I always think Goldeneye. Yeah. But, uh... Um, but I just... I really appreciate the uh, inventiveness of the character and level design, you know? Mm. Because they just went, fuck it, let, we have everything at our disposal here. We're going to set this game where we can go to anywhere in time um, and stuff like... Um, just yeah just just the way the levels look um mm. how you feel that they each have their own kind of unique identities feel yeah mm. and they feel exactly um it would have been nice if there was more because certainly going back and having a look at it 10 levels doesn't really seem like a lot uh but obviously you know you work into whatever constraints they had and um it's just it's a shame that it's a series that seems to have been put on ice um, for the yeah. time being because as mentioned at the start Time Splitters 4 was in re- development um, but it still hasn't seen a release do you um, know if you there's actually a very modern way you can enjoy Time Splitters and that's if you buy the very bad Homefront Retribution because in that game there are hidden Time Splitters 2 levels oh really that's do you remember I said to you before we came on is like I know there was Time Splitters 2 news recently oh, okay, that's what right. it was I think we actually covered it on the show, <laughs> but it might have been while you were in China. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, so the, like the game engine itself is uh, very, very similar to one used in Goldeneye. You know, they use very similar aiming system. Uh, you can't jump, but it's nice um, to have like a, a dual stick system. Like for a lot of people, going back to just using the single stick for yeah. Goldeneye throws a lot of people off. So to mm-hmm. be able to have basically that same mechanics but but even like for a lot of people going back holding that trident controller and figuring out where to put your hands for any one game is a little bit of a yeah so being able to use a a dual stick uh setup for a shooting game you know uh as far back as 2002 still kind of works is what people prefer um yeah i never played the the gamecube version um i imagine it's if nothing else a lot easier to it's a lot easier to use multiplayer because you know that has four ports yeah um yeah i i you know i'm presuming at some point there's been talk about doing a, a hd remaster of some description well now that they've started re-releasing ps2 games on uh, ps4 like manhunt and max Payne and stuff like that you gotta imagine it's on that dream list i'd hope is, so it is one of those like ps2 is one of the most prolific in terms of quantity yeah. uh, game libraries that has ever existed but if I were to sit down and think of like my top ten or twenty iconic PS2 games, Time Splitters Two is on there. And certainly in terms of wanting um, a PS2 game to and so, use the multiplayer capabilities yeah. online, yeah. and certainly also in terms of uh, games from the PS2 that you would think 
uh, are realistically possible to come to PS4. Like I wouldn't expect uh, Metal Gear Solid two and three, shall we say? No. Um, because Lord knows Konami would try and wring a bit of extra money out of those. But Time Splitters two, I think, is a doable one because like, I we were just talking about how IDOS um their IP now is under Square Enix. And they've been doing really, really good work with Tomb Raider. The last two Tomb Raider games have really knocked it out of the Indeed, park. Indeed, yep. And one of the things that Tomb Raider does not get enough credit for is undoing 15 years of over-sexualization of that character and actually making her a real, believable, and relatable character. Mm-hmm. Which there are not enough, uh, not enough of relatable female protagonists in games for uh, uh, female gamers. Um, and also, as we've often fawned over, they have done marvellous work with Hitman. Yes, um, so Time Splitters, to, Time Splitters, the franchise is definitely one that could do it a revisit. I think. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's I, amazing that it's nearly a decade now. I mean, since, I, the, since the last one. Yeah, I wonder where. Um, but it's over a decade since the last one that actually came out. But it's been just about a decade since Time Splitters Four was supposed to have. Come yeah, out. I, I wonder where the series would sit in the kind of current trend of multiplayer first-person shooters. Well, do you know what the thing is though? We're starting to move away from the hyper-realistic modern shooters, and the one I was thinking of, like when you talk about how good the single, how like surprisingly good the single player is on this, makes me think of. I'm kind of sad that. I know it's not quite an analogue for it, but because it's more class-based, but it makes me think, God, how good would a single-player campaign on Overwatch be? Yeah. Because that's what I think. Like, when I think of this, like, I think Overwatch is the closest modern comparison. Like, Overwatch <coughs> is obviously a lot more technical with the class-based powers and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But definitely. I think in terms of, like, uh, a, like a slightly cartoonishly animated uh, FPS that doesn't take itself too seriously, that people love the multiplayer on i think it's yeah i mean comparison is is reasonable i I like the idea that we could have an online multiplayer game where there's no classes no upgrades no perks no nothing just there's just run at each other with guns and see who's left standing deathmatch team deathmatch capture the flag whatever but basically you may and no one's let be our job no one's allowed to be your job. <laughs> you have a ranking system, so obviously you only play against people that are in the same sort of level of you, but that's it. That's all you go by, just how many games you've won and lost. Mm. Um, I think that a Time Splitters 2 HD remaster of some description would be the perfect game yeah. to fit that and, system. And like the sequel of Future Perfect wasn't bad. I never played it. By any stretch, it wasn't bad. No. It wasn't, I, I think, much like the Soul Calibur problem, I don't think Soul Calibur really was able to follow up on how universally praised Soul, uh, Soul Calibur 2 was. Yeah. Which I think, like, Future Perfect is a perfectly serviceable game, but it just... Time Splitters 2 just nailed it. You don't... Like, why fix what isn't broken? No. It's, uh... It just... It is... It's one of the best uh, first-person shooters just for playability, to be yeah. perfectly honest. and pick up and go. Pick up and go. Pick yep. up and go. Uh, yeah. So that is, um... That is Time Splitters 2. I think the um, the only thing that remains is too big a game for next week. Indeed. Is it me or you? Uh, I picked Time Splitters 2, didn't I? Oh, no, you did, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I picked it because I knew you were going to pick yes. it, but you weren't here last week. Oh, no, now I'm on the spot because I thought I can, you. I can take it if you want. No, 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 just uh, give me a few seconds. So you stop uh, doing the uh, end of the show stuff, and I'm going to, in my brain, just come up with one quickly. That's not how we do it. It's the wrong order. Just this one time. Just this one For time. For fuck's sake, this guy. So unprofessional. How dare you. Alright, that's been another episode of Link to the Cast. Uh, we are at Link to the Cast on Twitter. Link to the Cast at WordPress.com is where I should actually start because that's our website. Everything goes up there. 
um you can follow our content through there but if you want to follow us on social media and see things as soon as it's posted which we would urge you to do get those numbers going facebook.com forward slash link to the cast at link to the cast on twitter please subscribe to us on itunes as well or at sound or on soundcloud search for link to the cast i believe it's soundcloud.com forward slash link dash two dash the dash cast uh you can find us on there um youtube just search for link to the cast we are the top search result there my victory lap yeah, over Anne robinson continues um with the exception of this week, we do have a five-day weekly schedule of regular content. On Mondays, we have Mark on Mondays. That's his solo stream where he's playing through whatever tickles his fancy at the moment. Mark, what do the kind listeners have to look forward to next Monday on Mark on Mondays? Uh, we're still doing Undertale. Um, Undertale. I'm... Is that part five or six you're on, you'll be on by next week? be five, yes, five. five. Yeah. Okay, uh, still... I'm, I'm playing that to completion. So, okay, yeah. so you're having a good time with yes, that. Yes, yes. Uh, Tuesday is when we publish articles on the website, and coming up this week is going to be an article from me about your consumer guide not being duped by uh, hype or by advertising. Uh, you're basically do's and don'ts of expectation versus reality. Okay. Um, so you can look out for that one. We also post a classic book club, one of the features where we talk about important games from the past uh, from a previous podcast. We will post them up. Uh, Super Mario World went up this week, I believe, which is from an episode of a couple of months back yes yes it did um, I, was so even, could, I was only a couple of weeks ago I think was it? Uh, yeah, so, you yeah. can, you, so you can check out how we felt about that along with a bunch of other games already up there some absolute classics and uh, there'll be more coming up in the future like I said one a week on Wednesday most weeks we do linked uh, most weeks apart from this week we do link to the cast plays which is myself and Mark sit down and play our way through a some sort of weird narrative heavy game where we just basically talk over me playing it and uh, we are at the moment playing through Beyond Two Souls, which is this game that wildly oscillates between uh, being a quick time garbage fire and a really suspenseful <laughs> horror game. I don't know, like one week to the next when we pick it up, I don't know what it's going to be this time. But Willem Dafoe's in it, so uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. that'll keep us going. And Mark is delight- was delighted last week to find out that uh, David Cage's other iconic game, Fahrenheit, is available for PS4 uh, and for streaming No, purposes. the only thing that made me happy was the, that game... Um... Uh, beyond had actually broken you yeah indeed but that now, that was what i got a kick out of uh thursday is when this podcast posts the only thing that goes up that day we want to give you time to enjoy this podcast so that's that's thursdays and friday is friday of plays that's my solo stream at the moment i've been playing through no man's sky my final chapter of my captain's log on no man's sky will be this friday tomorrow uh, as we post this um look forward to that dear listener and uh from next week we will hopefully be moving on to provided it's not utterly broken when it comes out bioshock Mm -hmm. because the bioshock collection is out friday week so i'll be moving straight into the underwater city of rapture to have a look at uh, andrew ryan's uh, great ayn randian vision of the world Mark might even pop on with us for the first one to see what that looks yeah, like in, yeah. in uber pretty HD. Or maybe I shouldn't because it'll probably convince me to buy it. when, <laughs> Or at least tear off your trousers on a stream. Okay. Um, so that's our Monday to Friday schedule. Individually, I'm at Dave Ryan IV on Twitter and Mark over there is at Lithium Project. And now it is at this point where I look at a man who looks like a blank canvas. Uh, I got oh, one. he's got one. I got one. He's got one. Well, now it's time to do what we should have already done <laughs> and uh, discuss what is going to be on the book club for next week. Marco. Dave Ryan. Yes. Have you ever felt the urge? Pleased to meet you. Hi. Have you ever felt the urge to uh, throw a family member into a volcano before? Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's where we're going. <laughs>
Well, we was talking about Street uh, Street Fighter earlier. I'll tell you right now, I'm not playing you with this game. No, no, I will sit and I'll watch you play. Oh, yeah. for fuck's sake, even worse. <laughs> Go on. Tekken 3. Fine. <laughs> this is not one of the ones I would put on the list, but this is... How dare you? Yeah, well, look, I'm not a Tekken fan of their No, well, hey, look. But, like, I'm perfectly willing to admit it's an important game. Right, it is. <laughs> it's an important franchise. It's just not for me. Although it has to be said, there are people out there that will be pissed that a Tekken game got on this list before Street Fighter did. But oh uh, yeah, it has, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, we've even got Streets of Rage on here as yeah, well. We've got no Mortal Kombat games on yet. Uh, no, but I mean, MK2. I, I I guess that the first three Mortal Kombat games would only be on for their kind of cultural relevance more so than them actually. Yeah, there'd be a lot of talk games. about ESRB. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's Tekken 3 for next week. Kind of makes him a little bit Tekken 2, I guess. But, you know, the, the PS1 kind of second games. And... Okay, well, you've heard it here first. Uh, for a link to the cast this week, I've been Dave Ryan. The giggly volcano-loving man next to me here has been Mark Robinson. I do enjoy a good volcano. And we'll catch you all down the road. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye.